You're in Memphis, Tennessee. It's lunchtime. You miss breakfast, and you're jonesing for barbecue. Are you hungry for a spice rub rack of pork spare ribs? Or a barbecue bologna sandwich crowned with a sweet, hot mustard slaw? Or would you like a bento box of Korean barbecue? Soy and fruit juice marinated kalbi, to be exact. Beef short ribs, charred on a tabletop grill, swabbed with a sauce that gets its heat from gochujang, the Korean chili and bean paste condiment. The sauce, our sauce, is definitely important to us. We actually acquired it from Korea. My mother, she actually went to Korea, acquired the sauce, and made it her own. You're listening to Gravy. 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 Stories of the changing American South told through the foods we eat. This is John T. Edge, your host. I'm new to this podcast, but I'm old to gravy. Today, I'm your reporter on the ground. Join me as I track what happens when Korean barbecue goes from suburban pilgrimage food to Restaurant Row Vanguard. In the process, we'll learn how the most traditional seeming of barbecue towns, Memphis, Tennessee, has actually long been a hotbed of multicultural experimentation and innovation. Demographics are destiny. You know that phrase by now, right? Here's how that reality affects barbecue. By 2060, the U.S. Census Bureau predicts that minorities will comprise 57% of the national population. If demographics are destiny, and they surely are, that means Southern food as we now know it will change. Now, if you listen to gravy often, you know that change is constant and welcome in the South we explore. Here, change translates as new ideas and new peoples. And yes, new barbecue styles. Where does barbecue come from? Memphis. 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 You mean the animal. (laughs) Okay, Memphis. In 2001, Du and Wan Lee, natives of Seoul, opened a Korean restaurant on Hacks Cross Road in the Memphis suburbs, in the newest of New Souths, where Indian grocers, Turkish hookah bar owners, and other immigrant entrepreneurs often cluster. But then, in September of 2016, the Lee family of Memphis broke with tradition. They opened a second restaurant, DWJ Korean Barbecue, in Midtown Memphis. Their son took the reins. My name is June Lee. I am the owner of DWJ Midtown and Hacks Cross. June Lee directs the kitchen at DWJ, wearing a black chef coat trimmed in red or a baby blue chef coat trimmed in black. In 95, we left Korea and, you know, landed in Memphis. And from then, it's just a mind-blowing experience for me. Um, Definitely a culture shock. I started off here in kindergarten, you know, not knowing much English. I got my ABCs down, but besides that, I didn't know anything. Jun Lee grew up in Memphis, working in the family business, helping his mother and father cook and serve kalbi and other Korean dishes. When it came time to broaden their audience, he recognized that in Memphis, Korean barbecue required some translation. Now, a lot of our customers ask, what is Korean barbecue? They ask whether if it's comparable to Mongolian barbecue, Japanese teppanyaki, which is the hibachi, or Chinese. Um, now, I've never seen Mongolian barbecue, ever, at least original Mongolian barbecue, so I have no idea how to compare it to that. Korean barbecue is definitely bolder, flavorful, 
definitely has that oomph to it, I would say. When the Lees opened in the funky Cooper Young neighborhood, that move signaled a change. Korean barbecue was going mainstream, and it was going mainstream in Memphis, the arguable capital of American barbecue. Cooper Young, the hippest spot in the city, is the right beachhead for the Memphis mainstreaming of Korean barbecue. Here, BWJ shares a block with an audiophile studio that sells refurbished loudspeakers and a comic book store that sells vintage Captain America issues in Mylar slipcovers. On the other side is Goner Records, where the clerks are excited about Stick Men with Ray Guns, a Texas punk LP they say will inspire you to stick it to the man. Cooper Young is, in other words, Coolsville. And here in Coolsville, DWJ Korean Barbecue fits right in. My name is Lauren Solis, and I'm a manager at DWJ in Midtown. If you think about it, it's just like American barbecue, except a little Asian twist. There's the rice, which is the bread, the meat's on the side instead of on the bun. So you got potato salad, just made a little different, and then you got the pickled cabbage, which is a little spice, but, I mean, it's like a coleslaw. So, I mean, comparably, it's the same thing, just presented differently. If Korean barbecue becomes the next place-based style of barbecue to gain traction in the South, he might just be remembered as the man who broke the dam, but he won't have to shoulder that burden alone. Jun Lee has company. Over the last year, Colby has made its debut on in-town restaurant rows across the South. In New Orleans, Little Korea barbecue moved from the fringe of the city on Claiborne Avenue to Magazine Street, eight blocks from Commander's Palace the Garden District High Temple of Creole cuisine. In Atlanta, in the little Five Points neighborhood, Richard Trang opened Char Korean Barbecue and Grill last September. He serves Colby, fried chicken and waffles, and kimchi deviled eggs. Now comes DWJ in Memphis, which plays it pretty straight. They serve Korean barbecue standards, all cooked at dinner on tabletop grills. Again, Lauren Solis. The regular customers that we do get now, they're already saying, they're, uh, hey, babe, do you want to get Korean barbecue? you want to go Corky's or Tops or wherever they their preference to go? I mean, I already think that is starting, but it, it really matters on the people kind of opening their mind to try new things. Before DWJ arrived on the scene, Memphis barbecue was already more complicated than it seemed. To tell the story of Memphis barbecue well, you have to do more than pay tribute to the black geniuses who made their way from Mississippi and Arkansas cotton towns to work as pitmasters. You have to think about the Italians. 20 years ago, when I was in grad school, I tried to make sense of their influence on Memphis barbecue. For a Southern Studies class, I wrote a paper, Cross-Cultural Creativity, colon, always the colon, barbecue pizza, barbecue spaghetti, and the creolization of Southern foodways. If you think that title was overwrought, and it was, you should read the text. My focus was making sense of how and why, in the 1950s, Memphis cooks began experimenting with traditional barbecue forms. I studied Coletta's, an Italian restaurant. In the 1950s, back when Elvis was a regular, Coletta's began to serve barbecue pizza, strewn with cheddar and mozzarella, and topped with smoked shoulder and sauce. I investigated Brady and Lil's, a cafe where Brady Vinson, an African-American veteran who served in World War II with Italian soldiers, 
first conceived barbecue spaghetti. The barbecue shop, owned now by Eric Vernon and his father Frank Vernon, carries Brady Vinson's barbecue spaghetti recipe forward. On my most recent road trip through Memphis, waiter Robert Dean, a 17-year veteran of the barbecue shop, told me how they still do it. The barbecue spaghetti starts off with an 18-hour process of barbecue au jus. The noodles are cooked, drained, marinated, drained again, and topped with chopped pork and barbecue sauce. Italian is not the only unsuspected ethnic influence it shows in Memphis. When barbecue obsessives talk about dry rub ribs, they talk about the nationally recognized style that Charlie Vergas, grandson of a Greek immigrant, conceived at the Rendezvous restaurant in Memphis in the 1950s when he rubbed pork with a variation on a Greek seasoning mix spiked with a Cajun spice mix that included cayenne. He charcoal grilled those ribs, which he basted not with lemon in the Greek tradition, but with vinegar. And he sprinkled them with what is now known widely as dry rub. John Vergus, his inheritor, now at the rendezvous helm, knows his roots. We're Greek, so it's really more Greco-Cajun than anything, and it is the, what makes our ribs unique. If you recognize that over the last 60 years, various people from various places, from West Africa to Italy to Greece, have transformed Memphis barbecue, then the notion that Korean barbecue is the next wave style makes some sense. Between 1950 and 2000, the Asian American population in the U.S. South increased more than 100 times. That's the greatest increase among all regions of the U.S. This bill says simply, that from this day forth, those wishing to immigrate to America shall be admitted on the basis of their skills and their close relationships to those already here. That pace quickened beginning in 1965 when President Lyndon B. Johnson signed the Immigration and Nationality Act, dropping quotas that privileged immigration from Western Europe and opening our shores to Asian peoples, including Koreans. Those who can contribute most to this country, to its growth, to its strength, to its spirit, will be the first that are admitted to this land. Coming up, smoked kimchi bologna, pork shoulders rubbed with gochujang, and forgive me native Korean speakers if I just Mississippi mangled that pronunciation, and tempura fried sweet potatoes. There is that donor music. Do you remember that heavy cast iron skillet your mother has, or the one your grandmother uses? Chances are it was made by Lodge. Lodge Manufacturing in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee is a family-owned business operating since 1896. In addition to making those black skillets from your childhood, each year they create a custom skillet celebrating the Great Smoky Mountains. In 2016, Lodge donated a portion of the proceeds from sales of those Smoky Mountain skillets to help families affected by the Tennessee wildfires. They raised over $100,000. For their assistance to fellow Tennesseans and their support of this gravy podcast, we thank Lodge. Hi, it's Melissa. And if you're looking for another great podcast from the South, then you have to check out No Small Endeavor, produced by our friends at Great Feeling Studios and PRX. Each episode, award-winning professor and Nashville native Lee C. Camp merges the worlds of philosophy, theology, the arts, and more to ask the question— 
How can we live a good life while nourishing the soul? Plus, it's the only show I know that features everyone from legendary actor and filmmaker Rob Reiner to Southern activist and author Anthony Ray Hinton. So go ahead. Follow No Small Endeavor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And tell them Gravy said hey. And now, back to our story. A recent analysis of U.S. census data reveals that between 2000 and 2010, Asian Americans were the fastest growing ethnic group in the South. In Tennessee, during that period, the Asian population grew by 65%. Today, Asian peoples, of which Koreans are a subset, are 2% of the Tennessee population. Now, those numbers aren't big, but they do reveal the diversity that gravy this podcast charts. Now, I know at about this point in our time together, you're starting to doubt my theories. You're thinking my Pangea vision of Memphis is sounding a little kumbaya. That's why I called in an expert. My name is Tuki Hong. I'm a chef out in San Francisco. I cook at a place called Sunday Bird. And I am one of the co-authors of Koreatown, a cookbook, uh, along with my buddy, Matt Rodbard. In addition to writing a smart book about Korean-American food, Dookie Hong once led the kitchen at a Korean barbecue restaurant in New York City. More important for our purposes, before that, Dookie lived in Texas and in Alabama. Dookie is fluent in both Korean barbecue and Southern barbecue. He recognizes similarities and differences. The difference, huge difference between uh, Korean barbecue and uh, the American South barbecue that we all know and love is the element of smoke. I think Koreans sometimes get a little bit of that when we use charcoal. For the most part, 99% of the Korean barbecue restaurants in America won't be charcoal. It'll probably be gas. Like me, Dookie judges barbecue restaurants by their fuel source. I think that's why when I find a charcoal Korean barbecue restaurant, I'm like, oh, nice. It's like a little bit of best of both worlds. Before Korean barbecue found a Southern audience, kimchi was the first Korean food to go mainstreamish in the South. Late in the first decade of the century, when white tablecloth chefs rediscovered pickling, they began fermenting kimchi. Not just Korean chefs, chefs of many and varied backgrounds. Again, Dookie Hong. It's... Not unheard of now. Even in American South, like restaurants, there's kimchi on the menu. And it's not like maybe five years ago, people were like, what? Like, what is that? Like, that's so exotic. That's so crazy. But now it's like, it's kind of the norm. I remember kind of visiting Texas and going there and then seeing kimchi on the menu maybe five years ago, six years ago. I'm like, whoa, like, that's really cool. I'd like take a picture of the menu. But now it's part of daily conversation where chefs, even when I talk to the chef community in the South, they're like, hey, dude, I just kimchi'd like persimmons and I just kimchi'd like peaches. It's really cool. I'm learning kind of Korean food from my uh, other non-Korean chefs, which is, tells you a lot about how this kind of cuisine is evolving in America. Fifty-plus years after President Johnson signed the Immigration and Nationality Act, we continue to reap the benefits of that pen stroke every time we take a seat at a Korean barbecue restaurant. Even though I'm a small-town boy raised in a flashback Georgia community, I've now been eating Colby for 20 years. When I taste Korean barbecue, I taste Georgia where I was born, Mississippi where my wife and son and I now live, and now I taste Memphis, Tennessee, where I often road trip to eat. Korean barbecue and Memphis barbecue are brothers from another mother. 
After wandering Memphis, after exploring the Italian and Greek roots of Memphis barbecue and drawing a bead on the cream community, I settled back down at DWJ. What we've got is kind of a deconstructed Memphis barbecue sandwich. You've got ribs on the left-hand side, bottom left ribs pulled off the bone, one bone left, the bone is charred, beautifully so. There are two mounds of white rice, which might as well be two pieces of white bread. Above the white rice, we've got kimchi. Next to that, a little nub of potato salad, iceberg lettuce with that great Korean dressing ranch. It's a deconstructed Memphis barbecue sandwich. Made with beef, yeah. And yes, the coleslaw has turned to pickle, but it is recognizable as the same root food. Sure, over lunch at DWJ, I take liberties, but not many. Don't take my word for it. Listen to Dookie. When I operated the Korean barbecue restaurant in New York, a lot of our side dishes, you know, they're called panchan. Everything will be focused around the meat. All right, so meat is a little bit heavy, especially pork belly. There's, it's pretty fatty. So a lot of the side dishes would be acid, vinegar, to counteract and balance a lot of that heaviness that you get from the either the soy marinade or just a big hunk of meat grilling on the table. But that's a very American thing, too. Like, you know, you eat pickles and barbecue, right? As we talk, and I tell Dookie that I think kimchi tastes like coleslaw that's taken a long nap. He brightens. There's a lot of pickled elements in the South. Uh, definitely coleslaw, something refreshing to go with uh, something might be a little bit heavy, right? Or smoky, especially. And I think that's really cool because it's like cuisines that are developed on the other side of the world, but they kind of follow the same kind of rules. Today, Korean barbecue has become Korean American barbecue and is now rapidly becoming Korean Southern barbecue. Soon, Kalbi will not require modifiers or hyphenations. Soon, Kalbi we thought of in the South is just another form of barbecue, another place-based dish like a shoulder tray with slaw and hush puppies from the Piedmont of North Carolina, or a greaseball sausage plate from the oil fields of Gulf Coast, Texas. Soon, kimchi might even replace coleslaw. Mark my words. Or, better yet, mark dookies. Korean food is not made in a vacuum. You know, it's definitely impacted by the local environment of where it is. So, you know, green tomato uh, kimchi. That happens in the South because you guys have awesome produce there, too. And I think Korean food, in that sense, is evolving in America also. Gravy's theme music is by Wendell Patrick. Our donor music is by Jazar. Audio clips from this episode appear courtesy of Escape Hatch Dallas, Source, Eater, Memphis Originals, and Tennessee Crossroads. On our website, southernfoodways.org, you'll find links to the music in this episode, photographs from our Memphis road trip, links to oral histories with the rendezvous in the barbecue shop, and links to DWJ Korean Barbecue, plus many good things that go with bulgogi. Also, at southernfoodways.org, you can make a donation to the SFA, which we'd greatly appreciate. We're the nonprofit based at the University of Mississippi that produces this podcast. There is that donor music. Remember when SFA introduced you to Food Corps? It's the AmeriCorps service program that connects children to healthy foods in schools. Their application deadline is just around the corner. 
March 15th to be exact. If you sign up for a year of paid public service with Food Corps, you'll be in schools teaching hands-on cooking, gardening, and nutrition lessons. You'll help make it so that all of our nation's children, regardless of class, race, or geography, know what healthy food is, care where it comes from, and eat it every day. Applications are online. Visit foodcore.org gravy for details and the application. Food Corps volunteers make positive impacts in local communities. Next time on Gravy, thinker and writer Lola's Eric Eli muses on what to do now that the South has been discovered for like the umpteenth hundredth time. For the first time, I felt proudly Southern and inextricably linked to this extended, dysfunctional family of crazy relatives and people whose motives and agenda may or may not always coincide with my view. You're listening to Gravy, and I'm John T. Edge for the Southern Foodways Alliance. And remember, as you go about your day, please make cornbread, stir a Sazerac, fry okra, grill bulgogi, don't make war.